Today, we are actually going to be concluding our series on abiding in Christ with part 12. Over the last three months, we have discussed several crucial practices that help us to nurture our connection to Jesus. We've come to understand that our connection to Jesus is so critical that without it, without being connected to him, we are like a branch of a tree that will dry up and wither. Or if we want to put that into church terms, spiritually, without any connection to Jesus or without a realistic connection to Jesus, we will starve spiritually because we're not receiving nourishment from our Lord. So today we're going to be looking at the necessity of intercessory prayer as Jesus taught about it in Luke 11. We spent a little time in Luke 11 last week and we're going to spend a little bit more time in it this week looking at a few more passages that actually are a follow-up teaching to all that Jesus taught us in what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. So let's pray and then we'll get into the message this morning. Lord Jesus, I don't think we really understand how amazing prayer is. I know I don't, even though I still see it as valuable. But Jesus, for all of us here, myself included, please help us to understand the value of prayer. Help us to understand the necessity of it. I pray that you would tune our hearts to you, because where our heart is, is where everything else will follow in our lives. Amen. So when we look at these kind of topics, I always, I always ask questions because I think when I ask myself questions, when I ask questions that the Bible is talking about a certain topic with and I, and I search for answers, that's where I believe that God causes a richness to, 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 to crop up in the way that we study and understand his word. So in, in talking about the, the necessity of intercessory prayer, I guess a, a question that came to mind for me is this. If we believe that God is sovereign, then why is it necessary to make requests of God in prayer? If basically, if he knows everything and he rules over everything already, why do we have to ask him for what he needs? Or for what we need, sorry. Our answer, I believe, is found in the original plan that God had when he created man and woman, the first man and woman, to come to earth. If we understand Adam and Eve's life, we understand that God delegated authority and responsibility for the care and the governance of all creation to Adam, Eve, and their offspring. Okay? So we can see proof of this in Genesis 1 verse 26. Would you mind clicking on the pro presenter program, Ron? And then I think this thing is going to link in. Or maybe maybe it's not plugged into the laptop. I'm not sure. Hey, all right. Hey, now we're in business. Thank you very much. So Genesis 1 verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So what we can see here is that God didn't give away ownership of the earth, but he assigned people to care for the earth. And this is further exemplified in Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to to take care of it. How things went on planet earth, for better or for worse, depended on Adam and Eve and their offspring. In other words, God gave Adam and Eve the responsibility to represent his will on earth. 
because they were supposed to care for it. It was his idea that they do this. So if we think about this, can you imagine being Adam and Eve? And, and, you, and we know that Jesus or, the, or God walked with them in the garden and, and they spent time together. Can you imagine being given the world and say, hey, you're the first people here. Just so you know, this is your baby. Right? Like that's a huge responsibility. That's massive. Uh, This clearly shows, I believe, the necessity to pray to God, to remain connected to God so that his will is done through us. If he's giving us instructions on how to live, and this applies not just to Adam and Eve, but to all of us, if he's given us instructions on how to live, it makes so much sense that we remain connected to him so we don't walk away from his plan. And prayer is obviously a great way to stay connected to God. So let's keep thinking about this. Yes, we understand that God is sovereign and all-powerful, but it seems like he has limited himself intentionally. Instead of just controlling everything on his own, he chose to work through the people that he made. And we, the people that he made, are meant to intercede for the earth so that God's will is, is done and we care for the earth in the way that God intended. Now, we see examples of this sort of prayer, this intercession, where people were praying for the needs of the world around them all throughout scripture. Think about Abraham when he interceded on behalf of his cousin Lot. God spared Lot from the destruction that came to Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about Moses when he interceded. God changed his mind about wiping out Israel in the desert because Moses interceded. When Daniel interceded, God set in motion the deliverance of Israel from the Babylonian captivity. No small thing. When Elijah interceded, it rained for the first time in three and a half years. And when the church prayed, Peter was set free from prison. Clearly... Clearly, we can see just through these examples that God loves to and chooses to work through intercessors. Some things God will not do unless we pray. We need to understand this morning, friends, that prayer changes everything. In fact, I want us to understand this so much. I would like you to repeat after me, okay? Prayer changes everything. Uh, Repeat means I say it first and then you say it. So, I don't know, in Canada, maybe that's a different word. I don't know. So, okay, let's just all say it together since that's where in the mood we're in. Prayer changes everything. Oh, you guys are amazing. Well done. But for some reason, even though we get this just from reading a few verses in Scripture, few churches pray with confidence and purpose in a time when the world is desperate for our intercession. People, Christians included, we look around and we see the terrible things going on on planet Earth and we ask, why isn't God doing anything? But you know what I think is happening? God sees the terrible things happening on Earth and he asks, where are my people? How can they be doing nothing? Isaiah 59 verse 15 and 16 says this, The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He's talking about the earth here. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Ah, that's pretty sobering actually. God is looking for us to intercede, to pray on behalf of the world around us according to the needs that we see. Wow. Look at the responsibility of Adam and Eve. Look at the responsibility that we have. Intercession is necessary. But the beautiful thing is, the weight's not all on us. 
Because we serve a God and he desires to answer your prayers, which is amazing. I wonder sometimes if we hesitate because we're not convinced that God wants to answer our prayers. We, we hesitate to ask him for, for big things or to bother him with things that we would think are small and insignificant or to intercede for anything at all because we just think, ah, I'm just not sure if God really is interested in this. Jesus told a parable to address this concern in our lives. And this is the part where we're going to get into Luke 11. Starting with verse 5 to 7, we read this. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from the bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Jesus is telling this story because it's absolutely a ridiculous turn of events. It's like Jesus is saying to his disciples, get a load of this. Can you imagine if you went to a neighbor at night asking for help and you got a response like this? That's kind of the, the attitude in which Jesus is saying this. And the reason why we can understand this is because we here in America, we need to understand that in the Middle East, where this story is being told and where the culture is, is surrounding Jesus and his disciples, in the Middle East, their hospitality is legendary. A guest of one home was actually the guest of the entire village. So Karen's mother-in-law was here last week. If we were like in the Middle East, everyone in Kandu would be concerned that Joan Enns was having a wonderful time in Kandu because that's the kind of ownership they took of the hospitality and the good name of their village. In this story, we see that a guest arrives at a host's home late in the evening, but the host has nothing to serve his guest. The guest must leave with a good feeling about the whole village's hospitality. So when the host goes to his sleeping neighbor, the host simply is asking his neighbor to fulfill his duty to the guest of the village. For the sleeping neighbor to refuse to help the host would be unimaginable. For the sleeping neighbor to say that the door is locked and my family is sleeping would be a laughable excuse in Israel. It's easy to unlock the door and kids are going to fall back asleep anyway, right? Besides, the neighbor probably woke up everyone in his house when he didn't bother to get out of bed but said, leave me alone, my family's sleeping. It just doesn't make any sense. The point of this scenario is, or, or the, the point is that this scenario is so unthinkable that Jesus' disciples are probably trying to keep themselves from laughing at what Jesus is saying. Because there's no way that this would ever happen. The sleeping neighbor would never tell the host who comes over, I can't help you. Then Jesus brings this whole parable home in the next verse, Luke 11 verse 8, saying, I tell you. Even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now here's the tricky part in this passage, okay? Most of the time we read the word persistence in this passage and we think that God is teaching us to be persistent in prayer. Now while that is a biblical idea to be persistent in prayer and we're going to look at a verse that hits the nail on the head in that, in that regard here in just a moment, that's actually not what this passage is really saying. The significance of this passage hangs on the definition of the word persistence which in Greek is the word anaidia. 
Anaedia means shamelessness. Huh, okay. So we hear the word shamelessness. And for me, anyway, my first thought is something negative. We've heard people say, have you no shame? Or what a shameless act that was. That's kind of how we, we hear, or our, our ears are, are trained to hear this word. But shamelessness here means to desire to live without shame. The sleeping neighbor gives this host as much as he needs. Why? Because the sleeping neighbor... Uh, possesses shamelessness, the desire to live without shame. He's willing to fulfill his duty because he doesn't want to do something that will be shameful by refusing to offer to help feed the guest of the village. If the sleeping neighbor refused to provide a few meager loaves of bread, the host would have to then go to someone else and ask for this bread that he was denied, likely cursing the stinginess of this first neighbor that he went to talk to. The story would be all over the village by morning. Can you believe what that guy did? He, he gave our village a bad name, and that sleeping neighbor would be criticized harshly. He would be shamed by the whole village. And because that sleeping neighbor wants to avoid being shamed, he desires shamelessness, he will absolutely get up and provide whatever the host is asking for. So here's the interesting thing. This parable is actually comparing the sleeping neighbor to God, because we are the ones who go to God and we ask for things, just like this host went to his sleeping neighbor to ask for something, right? And think about this. If the sleeping neighbor will get up to give bread to the host just to avoid living in shame, then how much more will God, who loves you, want to answer your prayers? It's always a comparison thing that Jesus is asking us to do. It's like, you've seen it here on earth, but ah, think about my father in heaven. He's not like the people that you see around you. This parable reveals the motive of God's heart. In answering our prayers, God is nothing like the sleeping neighbor. He doesn't begrudgingly answer our prayers just to avoid embarrassment because he truly and deeply loves us. That's why God willingly answers our prayers. What we need to know is that our Father in heaven desires to answer our prayers. Sometimes we we have the wrong impression. We think that we're bothering him. We think that we have to convince him of something. But friends, this is a big one. God desires to answer your prayers. God keeps, uh, and then then on top of, of, of God's desire to answer our prayers, we also see that God offers to keep on answering our prayers over and over and over again. In Luke 11, verse 9 and 10, so we're just continuing on in the same passage here. Jesus continues by saying, So I say to you, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Oops, sorry. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So verses 9 and 10 are a follow-up of this parable of the, of the host and the sleeping neighbor that we just looked at. Uh, and there's an exhortation in here for us, or an encouragement, an instruction, that we are to ask and seek and knock. Since God really does desire to answer the prayers of his children, Jesus exhorts us to keep on asking for all kinds of things. Don't make this a one-time event. Make this the fabric of your life. So let's look at these three verbs or these three action words that we see, ask, seek, and knock. Ask means this. 
in prayer, we can ask God to provide us with something specific, not just general, like God, your will be done, which is good, but we could ask for something specific in line with his will. Karen and I have asked God for everything in our marriage from groceries to help paying bills when things were tight to friends when we moved to Winnipeg and when we moved here. We pray for godly character traits to develop in us. We have prayed for healing. We've prayed and asked God to, to help us to have the ability to forgive, how to hope, how to have peace, wisdom, insight, understanding, and direction. We've asked God for all sorts of things. And that's, that's in line with what we are instructed to do and encouraged to do here by Jesus. Ask. If you have a need, ask God. The second thing is that we can seek. Through prayer, we can seek what has been lost. Otherwise, why would you seek something if it's not lost, right? Have you ever prayed for something that you misplaced? Maybe it was uh, a cell phone or a wallet, luggage, a wedding ring. I've done that. I've prayed for those kind of things to be found, and you can do the same thing. I've asked God to remind me of how he sees me because I lost God's vision for my life. That's one thing that we can lose. We're all susceptible to that because Satan is breathing lies into us and sometimes we accidentally believe them. We need to seek the truth about who we are yet again. That happened to me just this week where in just one instance, there was, there was one little scenario in my life where I lost track of what God said about me and I said, Lord, I, I've lost this. Can you, can you please remind me of what it is you think about me because I want to operate with that understanding, not with this misunderstanding that I've believed. I've asked God what my purpose is in him and for direction because I've lost my bearing in certain situations. I just felt lost in a certain moment in life. It's like, God, could you get me back on track? I want to make sure I'm following your plans for me. How about something else that has been lost? Friends, can we lose health? Yeah, we just prayed for some people who have health needs right now. They've lost their, their healthiness and they're dealing with sickness. We need to pray that God would help them find good health again. How about our love for Jesus? You know, it's, it's amazing how we have this track in life that we're supposed to be on, but invariably we all slowly drift. It's not because we're bad people or we're intentionally walking away from God, but the temptation of this life is to pull us away from the things of God. So have we lost our way slightly, lost our love for him? Yeah, it happens. God, please, I want to seek you again. Help me to find this love that I had when I first met you or when I was on this mountaintop in my life. How about um, a family member who is spiritually lost? Who knows the way back to spiritual wholeness better than God? Of course we pray for those who are lost. And we can seek all these things and more through prayer. We might not know the way back to these things, but God does. So we don't need or we should not quit seeking seeking God through prayer. And the final thing is knock. By praying, we knock on a door that we desire for God to open for us. And I've prayed for God to open the door to lots of things, to a closed opportunity that I still desperately desired to see be an open opportunity. I prayed that God would open the way for for my family and I to to be here so we could pastor at, at this Christian fellowship church that we love so much. 
We've prayed that God would open the door with the United States government, that they would have favor on us so that our visa would be approved. I've prayed that God would give me favor with people that I have to have tense conversations with. Sometimes life has unpleasant things and we feel like the door is closed and it's going to be a bad deal. But we say, God, I'm knocking. Would you open the door that your favor would be on this situation? I love this kind of stuff. All three of these verbs, ask, seek, and knock, are in the present tense, by the way. That's something that we need to know. Basically, Jesus is telling us to keep on being active in our prayer life. These aren't supposed to be something that we used to do, but it's supposed to be something that we are incorporating in our lives on a regular basis. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. The theme of persistence is pretty obvious in this passage, but this this passage also points to the abundance of God. We can keep on asking, seeking, and knocking because God's limits are never exceeded. In fact, he doesn't even have limits that can be exceeded. He is eternal. He is limitless. Jesus said that everyone who asks, seeks, and knocks will receive. I love that. That's a promise that every one of us can take back to the spiritual bank of God. Not just the people that we perceive as super spiritual Christians will receive from God, but everyone who asks, seeks, and knocks will receive from God according to his will. It's a beautiful promise. Next point that we need to discuss this morning as we talk about the necessity of intercession is that God promises to answer our prayers always. God wants us to pray without ceasing. That, that verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 simply says, it is two words long, pray continually. If, if we need help going to the Greek or the Hebrew to understand that verse, I think we're a, little bit, we're a little bit needy, but this one is pretty straightforward. Pray continually. Continue to pray. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Pray always. That's exactly what this verse says. Why? Because God always answers our prayers. Always. That's why we're invited to pray always. Why would God invite us to continually pray if he wasn't interested in continually answering our prayers? Have you ever thought about that? That hit me this week. Of course, it's God who's initiating this. This wasn't even our idea. This is the God-inspired word that we see in scripture. He's telling us to pray continually. And when we ask why, it's like, oh, that makes so much sense. That agrees with the character of God that he would want to answer our prayers continually as well. This idea shows up in many places in scripture, so don't take my word for it. First John 5, verse 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. And Jesus talks about this specifically as well in the Gospels. John fifteen seven. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Matthew twenty one twenty two. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. John sixteen twenty three and 24. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And according to this next verse, this is kind of amazing actually. God never gives us less than we ask for. In fact, he may and he often does give us more 
than we ask for. Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty work at, or mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Isn't that amazing? That God answers our prayers abundantly greater than even what we pray. This is the God that we serve. He is generous and he always wants to answer our prayers. Have you ever received... Um, something from the Lord that you didn't even pray for? I have. I want to share a couple of stories here just to illustrate this point. Like we're, we're talking about the generosity of God and the power of prayer. I may, I may have shared these stories in, in part before, but they still illustrate the point so perfectly that I wanted to share it again. In 2009, Karen and I were married and Lucy was on the scene already and we were visiting Karen's parents uh, in their, at their farm. It was Father's Day. And as we're leaving, we're packing up Lucy in the car. Karen's mom taps me on the shoulder and says that her pastor, Ramsey is his name, was going to be emailing me. And I'm like, really? I've met this guy like three times in my life. I don't think we know a whole lot about each other. Why on earth would he want to email me? And I asked her that. Why does he want to get in touch with me? She says, well, he thinks you should be a pastor. And the reason why he said that was because a few weeks earlier, we were at Karen's sister's wedding where I was asked to be the MC. And literally, I introduced the head table and I called table numbers for the buffet line. And Ramsey was there at this wedding and he says, that guy needs to be a pastor. So I don't know. So we, we got this email from him and we, we heard his heart and he said that God just put a prompting on his heart to say this. The interesting thing was that three years prior to that, I was an intern at our church in Winkler in the youth ministry and I loved youth ministry and I wanted so desperately to become a pastor. At the conclusion of this internship, I applied for the job thinking, hey, I've already been here for a year. I know all the kids. They know me. Things are going great. The youth group is growing. Surely they would be crazy not to give me this job, right? And I guess they were crazy because they didn't give it to me. (laughs) And I thought to myself in that moment when I didn't get that job in Winkler, I said, oh, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I obviously totally misread you. And I thought way too highly of myself. And I gave up that dream. And I never once prayed that God would give me a chance to enter into ministry, which he knew was the greatest desire of my heart. But yet God, in his timing, even though Karen and I never prayed for these things, we never consciously formed sentences saying, God, please lead us into ministry. We never asked God for it. He knew the desires of my heart. And he answered those unspoken prayers in his perfect timing. What a wonderful God. Like that's just, it's crazy to think about how he knows us so much better than we give him credit for. Another story is a little closer now to, uh, to the time that it took for us to get down here. As you know, uh, I ended my time as a youth pastor uh, a little bit prior to coming here. And it wasn't by my choice. Uh, we had 17 months to wait and... and um, After my employment was ended at my previous church, Karen and I kind of white-knuckled for a little bit thinking, oh boy, this is going to be tough, but I'm sure we'll find work. We just kind of, we kind of buckled down and said, Lord, you know, help me to find a job. And I could not find real work for the life of me. Even that the the internship or the the interim pastor position that I had up in Bozager when I'm sending videos to you guys, you remember those days? That, even that was a part-time gig and like it, it was... It was way less than half of what I was making as a youth pastor. 
And we knew that things were tight. Putting groceries on the table and gas in the car and, and paying our mortgage, like those are the only things that we could afford to spend money on. And, and for some reason, Karen and I, we didn't pray with a ton of confidence. We didn't pray for a miraculous provision from the Lord, but he knew that's what we needed. And he knew that's probably where our concerns were. So one night we were visiting with some friends of ours. They had two daughters in our previous uh, ministry in the youth group where I was youth pastoring. And they invited us over and we still connect with them to this day. As a matter of fact, we were up in Winkler seeing them for lunch yesterday. They're just wonderful people. And we were visiting with them one night. They asked us how we were doing. And we just, we were very careful. Karen and I said, we're, we're going to take the high road. We're not going to complain. We're not going to say, woe is me. We just would say, yeah, you know, things are good. We're trusting in the Lord and we know that things are, things are going to be great and we just can't wait to get to Kandu. That's kind of our mantra at, at that season in our life. But God put it on their hearts to text us as soon as we got home saying, hey, we feel like God is, uh, is asking us to pay your mortgage. Would that be okay? And I, I said, wow. That's great. Yeah, let's talk about it. You know, I just kind of brushed it off because I'm like, who says that kind of stuff? Who offers to pay someone's mortgage, right? And I, I brushed it off for a few days, and, and Karen and I kind of forgot about it. And then they texted back. They say, so are you going to let us do this or what? And I mean, Karen and I, we looked at each other, and we knew that our savings was dwindling a little bit. And we're like, man, we really don't have any other way to make this work. So we said, yes, thank you. We would be... So blessed if you would be willing to do that for a month. And they said, oh, no, we want to do that for three or four months. Oh, okay. So we, we let them. And then at, at three or four months, we, we said, okay, you guys have been great. You've been so faithful. Thank you. What you've done for us is, is unimaginably generous. But we just don't want you to be on the hook anymore. And we think we're going to be okay. Uh, we really didn't know, but we just were. Oh, it was so under, overwhelming to have someone do that for us. And they said, well, we're not really prepared to stop yet. So we feel like God's asking us to go to December. And this was back in May. Oh, okay. As, as, as things were all said and done, they paid our mortgage, our mortgage for 11 months. Simply because God knew the desires and the needs in our life. God is so good. He answers the prayers that we don't even pray does this not prove that God answers our prayers always? This is such an example of the generosity of God. I, I love this stuff. Have you ever noticed, friends, how prayer is also at the big turning points in the lives of so many people in the Bible? It's something amazing happens, and it's a direct result of prayer that's taking place. While people were praying at the temple, an angel appeared to Zechariah, uh, announcing that his yet-to-be-born son was going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. That's in Luke 1. Anna, who had been praying for years, publicly identifies Jesus as the Messiah just days after he's born in Luke, 3, in Luke 2. While Jesus was praying, the Holy Spirit descends upon him, which empowers the proclamation of his message from God, Luke 3. It was after Jesus prays that he chooses his disciples. After Jesus prays, his disciples confess that he is indeed the Messiah sent from God. While Jesus is praying, his disciples see Jesus transfigured right before their eyes. After Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus faces the ordeal of death on the cross. After spending time in prayer, the risen Christ pours out his spirit on his disciples at Pentecost. And while praying, Peter is made aware that the Gentiles too are included in the plan of salvation. While people pray, God does amazing things. We have to see this direct correlation, not just 
say, well, yeah, that's correct theology, but we have to see this as the absolute necessity of the fabric of our spiritual lives. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I love how simple that is. Everything. Prayer and petition. Prayer and thanksgiving. Give your requests to God. One thing that is helpful for us to practice, though, is, uh, is doing our best to pray in agreement with God's will. And that's why there's a few boundaries that Jesus includes in the Lord's Prayer for our prayers to be answered. From what we've learned so far this morning, some of us might be saying, wow, it sounds like God's just kind of writing us a blank check and, and literally anything we ask for is going to be granted. No, you will not get that brand new Ferrari, but I think God has something better in mind for you anyway. So let's conclude this morning with just looking at three conditions to the boundaries of answered prayer in God's prayer, in, in the Lord's prayer, sorry. So boundary number one is when we pray, it must not dishonor God. Because in the Lord's prayer, we're told, Father, hallowed be your name, as we looked at last week. So then surely God will not grant our requests that steal from his glory or cause him to not be hallowed in our lives or in the lives of people around us. Boundary number two, it must not impede his kingdom purposes. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus instructed us to pray, your kingdom come, right? So again, if this is how he wants us to pray, then God won't answer prayers that conflict with the purpose of his kingdom. And number three, it must not hurt us, ultimately. If in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray and lead us not into temptation, Tests that will overwhelm us or hurt us or cause us to sin. Jesus teaches us to pray to be led away from the temptation to sin. So naturally, he won't answer prayers that cause us or others to sin against him. Friends, I I hope that you see that yes, we do need to pray about everything. But even more than that, I, I hope that you see that God desires to answer our prayers And to answer them again and again and again. Pray with courage. Pray with confidence. Pray for specific things. Pray with a heart that is surrendered and humble before God. Pray in line with his will as best you know how. The confidence that we can have with God, I believe, is this. That if we're praying for things that ultimately aren't what God wants us to have but we're praying with a heart that is surrendered to God and our motives are good, I think even though we might be technically praying for the wrong thing, I think God will give us the right thing. I think that's the kind of God that we serve and we can have confidence in. This is it's just a wonderful truth that we have to, to live with. So I, I want to leave you with that and I want to challenge you, friends, that we will continue to abide with Christ. This is the end of our series. But all of these things that we've talked about over these last 12 weeks are absolutely crucial for us to participate in on a regular basis. If there's, any, if there's ever a point where you, where you feel like you're maybe getting off track or forgetting some of these foundational pieces and you want a refresher, talk to me. Let's, let's just dig in together. I meet, with, I meet with people almost every day, regularly in my, in my week, because we're pushing one another towards understanding what it means to be intimate with the Father, to have connection vitally to the trunk of the tree since we are the branch that is meant to bear fruit. This is what life is like.